Today on Run With Horses, I'm going into a little more detail about the first stage of spiritual growth that we should all pass through on our journey of faith. My name is Norman, and my goal is to help you run your race well, not just surviving, but thriving as a disciple of Jesus. There are a lot of things you could do with your life, but I don't think anything compares with following Jesus and joining Him on His mission of bringing hope to the nations. Welcome to Run With Horses, and thanks for including me on your journey. Well, today's focus is stage one, spiritual growth. The last time we were together, I looked at this overview of these three stages, and today and the next two shows, we want to kind of go forward and think about what's included in each one of these stages. If you have any questions, any comments as we go along, write me at norman at runwithhorses.net. R-U-N-W-H-T, yeah, I can't spell that. R-U-N-W-I-T-H-H-O-R-S-E-S dot net, runwithhorses.net. So the first stage, what is it? Spiritual identity and foundations. So we talked a little bit last time. Who does God say that we are? That's really, really important. If you are a follower of Christ, if you understand who God is and that He made you, then one of the things that you really want to understand is who does God say that you are? Who does God say that I am? There are a lot of passages in the Bible that give us some very clear instructions about who God says that we are. And the problem is sometimes we don't know what those are. Other times we don't actually believe it. So we want to learn in this first stage both who God says that we are and understand that we can really trust that God means what he says about who we are. We're going to look at a few passages thinking about these kinds of things. We're not going to go into great detail. We're not going to go through and actually study our spiritual identity in great detail in this lesson. But I do want you to understand it's one of the things that you'll cover in this first stage as you're learning what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's part of your foundation that you will build on for the rest of your life. So we need to learn who we are in God's sight. Ephesians 2.19 is a good passage to look at when we think about this. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, and that's what you are without Jesus. Strangers, foreigners, who don't know you, but who are you? Fellow citizens. Now, that's really cool. We are foreigners, strangers, unknown, unloved, <laughs> kept out, but now we're fellow citizens in Christ. Fellow citizens with the saints not just citizens, like, hey, we belong to the same city, we belong to the same country, but it goes on and says, and members of the household of God. Okay, now that is, that's cool. <laughs> that's, a, that's amazing if you think about it, that we went from outsiders, from strangers, from foreigners to citizens. Now we belong, but not just that we belong, we are part of God's family, God's household. So it's not just belonging, it's really belonging. We really have a new identity, a new family, a new place because of God. He goes on and says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So one of the ideas, and here you see it, and you see it maybe clearer in some other places, but that we are a holy temple, that this 
citizenship, these citizens together, the household of faith, this household of God, we're all being built on this foundation with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone and the head of this building. It's a special kind of building. It's not just like, oh, it's a skyscraper or it's a storage house. It's a shed in the backyard. It's a holy temple in the Lord. And a temple is made for a certain purpose. And particularly when we think about the, the temple of God, and you go back and think about the tabernacle and how God dwelt in it. So verse 22 says, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So we learn that as you accept Christ as your Savior, as you follow Him, you are the temple of the living God. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is often the way we, we word it. God's Spirit now lives in me. I am now His dwelling place. So I'm not just, I've gone from a an outsider to an insider, a citizen. I, I'm not just a citizen. I'm part of the family of God. I'm just part of the family, but God in the Spirit dwells in me. Okay, now, that's a huge, huge part of our identity. We're a different person. And I, and I think it's part of this connection that we have where Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And this is one of the ways in which that's true. God is always with you as his dwelling place. The Holy Spirit is always there, leading you, guiding you, protecting you, uh, helping you to understand God's word. So this is a truth we really need to understand in this first stage, because as you go on in the spiritual life, you will run into difficulties. You will run into problems, and you may run into that in your, your first stage. You may be in the depths of big problems when you come to know Christ. Well, it's helpful to know, comforting to know, that God is with you, that the Holy Spirit is with you. You've got a new family. You're in a new standing in God's household. And that's a good place to start as we look at the rest of what God is doing in our life. So 1 John 3, 1 continues this, goes on a little further. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Again, this idea of being part of the family of God, the household of God. It's a common uh, thread, a common way of thinking about the church in the New Testament as this household of faith, this family of God, and to be called children of God. Okay, this is a, a wonderful example of God's love for us. Said, so what kind of love has God given us? Not just a love that, well, you know, you can, you can hang around me. No, he calls you his children, his family. Uh, so we're different. We're different than we were. Now, before, we were, we were foreigners. We were outsiders. Now, we're children. And it goes on and says, it's not really clear yet exactly what we're going to be like, but we know that when he's revealed, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay, now that's cool. We're going to be like him. We think about this idea of Christ-likeness. We're going to be becoming, we are becoming like Jesus, and we're going to be like him. Okay, that's awesome. The children of God who are becoming like God. That's really your identity as a Christian. 1 Peter 2, 9 continues this idea. We were outsiders, now we're insiders. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Verse 10 goes on and says, who were not a people, but are now the people of God. Had not obtained mercy, but now 
have obtained mercy. Again, when we think about who we are, when you think about your identity, how you think about yourself, understand that God chose you. And he chose you for a purpose. And part of that purpose is to be part of this royal priesthood. It's one of the awesome things about the life of a believer is that we have this opportunity to go before God at any time and, and talk to him, pray to him for ourselves and for other people. You know, part of the role of the priest was to be an intercessor for God's family, for Israel. Well, as part of this royal priesthood in the New Testament, as we have been inducted into this special group, as we're part of this holy nation, we have that both opportunity and responsibility to be an intercessor for people around us, to pray for other people, to take their request to God, and to take God to them. That is part of our role as witnesses to God, uh, witnesses for God. Uh, Galatians 2.20 Again, this is, this is a wonderful verse. It says, I've been crucified with Christ, so it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. We talked before about the Holy Spirit that's indwelling us. Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the summary of all of the things, there's, there's a lot more about our identity in the Bible. We're not going to cover all of that. That would be a great study, and I encourage you to do that. But the summary of all that, one of the things that we have to really feel in our core is that we are loved. You, whoever you are today, one of the messages that you need to hear and know is that you are loved. God absolutely loves you. He wants for you uh, to be whole. And, you know, sometimes people feel emotionally, uh, mentally even physically, just fractured and pulled apart. And God wants you to be whole. God had uh, a plan for you that was uh, torn apart by sin, but God is not to be thwarted. So he has paved the way to return to his plan so that you will be all that he intended for you to be. And that's an expression of his love for you. And he proved that on the cross. So you are loved. We have to understand that. That, that should be part of our deepest identity. We should never doubt that. Uh, God loves us, and He has proven that. And now He's using all of the, the pain and suffering of life, because that doesn't go away. He's using all that. Instead of it being meaningless, and without Christ, I have to say that our, our pain and suffering this life doesn't really serve any purpose. <laughs> but with Christ, it, it has a purpose. It has meaning, and, and God uses it both for His glory and for your good, and ultimately to make you like Christ as He's changing you. One day you will be like Him. So our identity is really important, but also in this time, as we're in this first stage of spiritual development, spiritual growth, it's a time of developing our character. And by our character, I mean who we are on the inside, who we are at our core, in our deepest level, in your innermost being. Who are you? Well, in our spiritual formation time, we're building this foundation of godly character that we don't ever leave, but we continue to develop. But the, the seeds of that, at least, should be planted and being developed during this first stage. We're not going to look at a lot of passages, but I want to look at a few related to this. Matthew 5 is a good place to look. 
And particularly Matthew 5, say 3 to 9, there are several things here that relate to our, our character. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit. And I think a lot of us think of this as similar to, number five, uh, to verse 5, which says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So uh, the humility, the people who are, are uh, beaten down, you know, our humility, our meekness should be part of our character. Not that we're beating, being beaten down and letting people run over us, but that we are humble, that we willingly submit to God and consider others better than ourselves. So that humility should be part of our character, part of uh, how we are made in the image of Christ and remade in the image of Christ. Verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This speaks to the desires that we have. In your character, one of the things that you should desire is to be growing in Christ-likeness, to be growing in your ability to reflect His glory, to really desire to know Him more, to desire what's real, to desire this right standing before God. And the Bible tells us that we should uh, seek after, hunt for godliness and righteousness. Paul particularly challenges Timothy in this way. And the way he puts it is hunger and thirst. And think about, about hunger, about thirst. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been just genuinely thirsty and had a long period of time without water, but man, it just you just really just want some water <laughs> or have been really hungry where this is painful. You really desire food. That's the way that we should desire righteousness. And God tells us if we desire that, we'll be filled. But we should be working in our character and understanding this is to be part of who we are. It should be baked into our innermost being. We desire righteousness. Verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful. Mercy should be something that we desire to reflect in our, in our hearts, in our, in our life, in our actions, in our relationships. We are gracious and we are merciful. Both those two are important. And the difference, as we talked a little bit about um, last week, grace is giving something that's not deserved. Mercy is withhold some, with something that is deserved. Usually think about a punishment. So I'm merciful. I don't want to treat people as they treat me, which they might deserve. Somebody treats me poorly. They might deserve to be treated equally poorly, but mercy is treating them better than they deserve. It's not treating them harshly, even though they might deserve that. I, I want to uh, be merciful in my, my responses, my reactions, my relationships. That should mark my character. I should be one of grace and mercy. It said, blessed are the pure in heart, verse 8, for they shall see God. My motivations, my desires, my heart condition to be one that is set apart, that is desired to be separate from sin, and to be pure. My motivations should be pure. Uh, my desires should be pure. I, I want my heart condition to be one that is set apart, separate from sin, and devoted to God. And then verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. Uh, this again speaks to our character and our desire uh, to be at peace with our fellow man, to be at peace uh, with other people. And it's interesting, one of the verses that I've been thinking about in the last uh, day or so, it's one I added to my, my memory list a, a while back, is Isaiah thirty two seventeen. It says, the result of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. So the result of, of 
righteousness will be peace. And we think before, we talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Well, one of the things that will result if we hunger for righteousness and seek after it is that we will have peace, maybe only in our hearts. You might not have peace with your fellow man because it's not totally dependent upon you, but you're likely to have more peace than, than you would otherwise if you do your part. Galatians 5.22, again, it's a place we can look at and see some of the character that God is developing in us. And verse five, uh, Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And this is the fruit is the result of the Holy Spirit working in us. And it does change us from the inside out, and it changes our character. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, these are all good things that we should desire. And a lot of these are really related to our, our character. Do you exhibit joy as you go through life? Are you at peace with people and seeking peace? Are you long-suffering? Do you have that patience that just keeps on going? Are you impatient and, and quick to be angry? You know, we want to have our character changed by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. To be kind, to be good, to be faithful, uh, to be gentle. That should mark our character and who we are and how we respond to other people. And then self-control. That's one of the ways that we exhibit this. We have people who drive us nuts, but our self-control allows us to take a step back, take a deep breath, and say, God, this is somebody that you love, so I want to respond to them in love, with peace, with patience, kindness, and gentleness. And sometimes that takes a lot of self-control. But this is one of the things that we're developing as we learn what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus. This first stage of life is learning what character is God growing in me? You can also look at 1 Timothy 3, which God talks about uh, the qualifications for uh, elders and deacons and pastors and things like that. A lot of those are character qualifications. We're not going to look at those today, but God really is concerned about our character. <laughs> so consider what kind of character God is developing and what that looks like in your life. How do you develop those things? And how do you develop those things really will come up next. We're learning the basics of the Christian life in this first stage. So the gospel provides the entry point into the Christian life, and we never leave that foundation. You only build on it. You don't build a foundation and then leave it to rot. Uh, that would be foolish and, and wasteful and a foundation really has no purpose if there's not a building on top of it. So as we learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we take what we learned in salvation. So what did Jesus accomplish on the cross? Well, for a new believer, they may only understand that what Jesus accomplished was forgiveness for my sins, that God uh, put me in right standing with God, that Jesus, through the death of Christ, has uh, forgiven me and allowed me now to have a relationship with God, to approach Him without having His anger on me, His wrath on me. Uh, I have a new relationship with God. And they may not understand really a whole lot more than that. But as you're learning the basics of what it means to be a Christian, you're going to learn that God accomplished a lot more than that. You're going to learn maybe some of the big words that we use in theology and talk about justification. Uh, and sanctification, this ongoing process of being changed. The power to accomplish that work in your life was made available through the gospel, through the cross. So 
we learn, how does the gospel help me live today? I don't ever leave that foundation. I only build on it. What is available to me because of the cross? This is a question that you should be learning to answer as you're beginning this Christian life. So we learn that the Holy Spirit is offered to us, is given to us, because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Uh, we learn that God uh, provides for us and, and directs us, and that uh, He has given us a mission, that He has united us with His family. We have all these things that are accomplished through the work of Christ on the cross. We learn about, yes, the power of forgiveness. We also learn about God's ongoing grace in our life, how He continually gives us the things that we didn't deserve. We learn about prayer. Uh, in this beginning stage of following Jesus, we were able to go to God directly because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That temple, uh, that uh, curtain that was rent in the temple, that was torn in two, that blocked the way from the priest to go to God, that was torn out of our way. We're able to go directly to God at any time. We're made that uh, royal priesthood. That's because of the work that was accomplished on the cross. The fellowship that we have in the church, again, this is available to us because of the work that Christ accomplished on the cross. We have a body of believers who are united by the Holy Spirit. So God's mission to us was to offer us reconciliation. And then God turns around and through the work, through the power of the cross in our life, He changes us, and then He offers us an opportunity to be united with Him on this mission. He gives us, as Paul calls it, the ministry of reconciliation. I, I Still, I, I always love the way that Paul talks about it. He said we are ambassadors for Christ. We have the opportunity to represent Christ in the world. He has this special ministry of helping people to understand where they are right now in relation to God and where they could be, where God is offering them a place in His house, a place in His family. That's the ministry of reconciliation and forgiveness. There's so much more, lots of little details that we learn uh, about the, the reality of spiritual warfare. You might learn about your spiritual gifts. We learn what ministry is, particularly ministry to the body of Christ, but also ministry with the body of Christ to the world. We learn about our testimony, that we are witnesses to His work in us. And again, that goes back to the gospel. This is what God accomplished in my life. And let me share with you what God has accomplished in my life and how God desires to use that uh, in your life. So we're learning about genuine spiritual worship as well. So how do you learn these? Well, hopefully in the context of a church family uh, who is going through God's Word together and, and sharing their testimony of how God has worked in their life and how God is working, and we're together looking at these passages of Scripture and just really rejoicing in who God is and what He's doing, and we're learning it from our church family. The other part of this that really goes hand-in-hand hand with the, the basics of the Christian life is we're developing good spiritual habits during this first stage. You should be developing the habit of Bible study and and instant obedience. You know, one of the things I've been talking about uh, with some people around here recently is we have, unfortunately, this idea in the church in America now of uh, passive attendance is is okay. That's that's acceptable. Not just acceptable. In many places, that's celebrated. We're just happy that there are people in the pews. So this kind of passive Christianity, just attendance being being there 
is sufficient. But really what the New Testament standard is active obedience to the commands of Christ. As you understand them, as you hear them, you obey them. So we should begin this habit of looking at God's Word and trying to put into practice right away. So we learn the value importance of prayer, both for ourselves and our relationship with God and our understanding of God's Word, asking the Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us and direct us. But we're also learning to pray for other people, pray for their prayer requests, pray for their needs, pray for their spiritual growth. Uh, we're learning to pray for our unsaved uh friends and neighbors, that they might really come to know Christ and praying that God would use us to open that door of opportunity. We're also learning in this time about this special community of God's family, the church, and developing the habit of intentional relationships. You know, so many of us go to church, and I I hate that way of, of saying it and particularly of thinking about it that way, because you don't go to church. You are the church. You go to be with the church. There's a building the church uses, but the church is not a building Uh, The building is owned by this special group of people that God calls his family. We need to develop the habit of being intentional in getting together with God's family. Part of what we're learning in this first stage is stewardship. We need to develop a good view of stewardship in all areas of life. That's time, health, relationships, finances, just everything in life. We are stewards of what God has given us. You have 24 hours in a day. How are you going to use them? You have a certain level of health. It may be poor. It may be great. How are you using the health, the energy that God has given you? You have relationships. Maybe that's in your work. Maybe it's in your community. Maybe it's in your family. You are a steward of those relationships. You have children. How are you raising the children that God has given you? You have finances. How are you using the finances that God has given you? This idea of stewardship is one that's really important and one that we need to continue to work on developing good habits and being good stewards in these areas. And you don't, you don't get away from that. It's a foundation that you continue to build on. So why are these habits so important? Well, it's through these habits, prayer, Bible study, interaction with God's family, that you have your mind renewed is the way that the Bible talks about it. You immerse yourself in God's word, uh, in uh, this relationship with the church and the Holy Spirit works in you and your mind is changed. You develop discernment, spiritual discernment, spiritual wisdom and insight. You learn these by time, meditating on Scripture, practicing it, obeying it, seeking out how to live this out. You're developing consistency in your relationship with the church and being present in your relationship with God and spending the time in prayer and in in Bible study. As you do this, you become uh, more familiar with who God is, what God loves and what God hates, and you're quicker to recognize those things that are not good for you, that are dangerous for you, and you're able to avoid them and stay away from certain things and pursue the things that glorify God and honor Him. So this is all just a quick overview of this first stage. And as we saw, there's a lot in there. And a lot of these things are topics that we talk about uh, on this show. Next time, we're going to look at the second stage. We're going to get into spiritual sacrifice and service, very important as we grow in Christ-likeness. So thanks for joining me today. Check out runwithhorses.net for show notes and past shows. I'd love to hear from you. Write me at norman at runwithhorses.net if you have questions or comments. We do have a Facebook community. You can look up Run With Horses podcast and hopefully you can find that. If you found this show interesting, helpful, encouraging, tell somebody. I am terrible at letting people know that I do this, and I really want to encourage uh, more people. Uh, If you have somebody this would benefit, 
let them know about it. Whatever you do, keep running.